0: Before we get started today, I'd like to talk about our new Buy Me A Coffee memberships. Now, when you subscribe monthly for the price of 1-5 to five coffees, you also get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, the ability to ask questions directly to us, as well as a special shout-out here on our podcast. And today, I'd like to thank our first members on Buy Me A Coffee, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer and Farah thank you all you too should join them and support independent journalism head to buy me a coffee and subscribe and starting next week you can hear your name on Explaining Brazil and if you can't support us on a monthly basis you can still tip us a coffee to give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil so head to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian report to find out more Naturally, the eyes of the world remain transfixed on the war in Ukraine. Russia's invasion has lasted for over two weeks now amid alleged ceasefires and subsequent breaches. And at The Brazilian Report, where we're far from the fighting, we've been monitoring the war closely, identifying exactly how the ongoing conflict can and already has affected Brazil. The invasion of Ukraine has sent energy prices soaring with huge implications for the global economy and household budgets.
1: The cost of wheat is at its highest level in 14 years. Corn is at a nine-year high.
0: And we've also been paying attention to the Jair Bolsonaro government and where it stands on the crisis. Just over a year ago, the right-wing administration would have sided with the US in a heartbeat on any given issue, but that seems to have changed, with Brazil's diplomacy issuing a decidedly ambiguous response toward Vladimir Putin's invasion.
1: We call on all parties to exercise maximum restraint and refrain from any action that may further increase tensions on the ground.
0: In fact, depending on the angle you use to look at the situation, one could argue that Brazil is simultaneously on the side of the Russians, neutral in the conflict, and opposed. Exactly why that is, is the topic of today's episode. My name's Ewan Marshall, editor of the Brazilian Report and standing in for editor-in-chief Gustavo Ribeiro, and this is Explaining Brazil. Deciphering exactly where Brazil stands on recent developments in the Russo-Ukraine war is no easy task. While Western nations were quick to condemn Putin, and even Switzerland has abandoned neutrality, the Brazilian government dithered somewhat on whether to call out Russia. In the space of a few days, Brazil signed off on a UN resolution denouncing the invasion before President Bolsonaro declared the country would be neutral in the conflict, mentioning a crucial facet of the war for Brazilian interests, fertilisers. Andres Pigariol, our beloved Brasilia correspondent, welcome back to the show. Hi, Ewan. It's nice to be here. André, so what is all of this about Russian fertilizers? Is Bolsonaro worried about reduced imports to Brazil?
1: Yes, yeah, so this is a particularly delicate issue for Brazilian agriculture, which is one of the most important contributors to the country's GDP. So potassium is a crucial fertilizer for Brazil's farmers, but it imports 96% of these products and roughly of them come from Russia and Belarus. In fact, two-thirds of the
0: potassium-based
1: fertilizers exported by Russia end up in Brazil.
0: And there was some talk about Russia suspending its own fertilizer exports after a number of shipping companies interrupted their services to Russian ports. What's the latest situation there?
1: Effectively, shipments from Russia to any part of the world are severely restricted by Western sanctions, as we don't have the means to transfer money to Russian exporters. Furthermore, finding an insurance company that takes the risk of being subject to sanctions and guaranteeing a shipment that goes through the Black Sea is not straightforward. Brazil's Agriculture Ministry confirmed that Russian company Akron shipped a load of fertilizer bound to Brazil on Friday. However... The government did not say how much cargo was being sent or exactly what the shipment
0: contains. And obviously, there's there's an interesting backdrop to all of this for Brazil. Because, you know, just days before the invasion, Jair Bolsonaro visited Vladimir Putin in Moscow. I mean, do you think that this meeting has influenced where the Brazilian president stands on the conflict?
1: Yeah, Sure. Talks about fertilizers were on the agenda when Bolsonaro met with Putin. Brazil's idea was to lay the groundwork for Russian producers to not just sell their goods to the country, but also bring infrastructure investment. And Bolsonaro did actually get somewhere when he was in Moscow, with a deal to boost investment signed between the Brazilian Trade and Investment Promotion Agency and Andrei Guriev, head of the Russia-Brazil Business Council and the CEO of Fosagro, one of the four largest producers of phosphate-based fertilizers in the world. So as you can imagine, just weeks after getting that victory abroad, Bolsonaro is seeing that it may well have been all for nothing, as he cannot be happy about that.
0: And this whole fertilizers issue has opened another can of worms in Brazil as far as environmentalists are concerned. Because the Bolsonaro government is claiming that it could circumvent the crisis by legalizing mining on protected indigenous territories. With the Mines and Energy Ministry saying that it has found new potassium reserves in the Amazon that would increase Brazil's production capacity by 70%. So, I mean, considering that the Bolsonaro government has been keen on allowing mining in these areas for quite a while, isn't this a bit you know, convenient that this comes around at this time?
1: You are correct that Bolsonaro has been keen on allowing mining on indigenous lands for some time now. He claims that it would bring economic development to these traditional communities, saying that they are keen on making money off their own land. One line he has repeated several times is that Brazil's indigenous peoples cannot be poor living on rich lands. But... Of course. We know that legalizing mining on indigenous lands would have very different effect. There is plenty of illegal mining going on already, and in many cases it is destroying the indigenous community's way of life. For Bolsonaro to suggest this as a solution to a potassium shortage from Russia smacks off opportunism, simply making mining operations legal isn't not a quick fix. It would take time for companies to actually be allowed to mine there and start producing. Moreover, production costs of such fertilizers in the Amazon might become infeasible for farmers, as those potassium reserves are half a mile deep underground, requiring huge investments.
0: So, what are the chances of this going through in Congress?
1: House Speaker Arthur Lira is trying to convince frontbenchers to fast-track a bill legalizing mining on indigenous lands this week. From what I've heard in Congress, Lira has enough votes to pass the bill. But the situation in the Senate is far trickier. Even senators from traditional farming constituencies are reluctant to support the bill.
0: And there's an added facet to this story, because beyond the immediate risk that mining poses to the environment and indigenous communities in the Amazon, There is a suggestion that this newfound potassium isn't even found in indigenous lands, right? Yes,
1: that appears to be the case. Newspaper Estadão published a study this week showing that the vast majority of these potassium reserves do not overlap with indigenous territories. That is not to say that mining there will have no impact on traditional communities, but the idea that Brazil should legalize mining on indigenous lands seems like overkill
0: and, once again, opportunism. Right, so if we bring this back to Russia, I mean Brazil certainly has an economic interest in this conflict, but this is Jair Bolsonaro we're talking about. Would he really take such a pragmatic approach to geopolitics only for the sake of fertilizers?
1: Well, the truth is that agricultural caucuses play a huge role in the Bolsonaro administration and his electoral support base. In this sense, showing that the president is doing something about the crisis is important to his supporters. Moreover, not condemning President Putin's actions is a crucial play to please the Brazilian far-right, which has always taken a liking to conservative authoritarian leaders like Putin. Keeping a non-committal stance over the war allows him to play both sides.
0: Next, we're going to take a wider look at Brazilian foreign policy over the last few years and how that has changed under President Jair Bolsonaro. We'll be right back.
1: We at The Brazilian Report have launched an in-depth report telling you everything you need to know to prepare yourself for this year in Brazil. You might already know that Brazil will elect a new president in October and there are several other issues you should be aware of. Such as the impacts of China's recent transformations on Brazil, the extreme climate events that will affect Brazilian agriculture, the state of congressional elections, and which way the economy is likely to go. You can purchase the report on our website, and all of our listeners can enjoy a special 22% discount. Just use the promo code Explaining22.
0: We're back with Andres Bigariol, the Brazilian Report's Brasilia correspondent. Now, Andre, let's circle back a bit to something that I mentioned at the top of the show. Brazil's official approach to the invasion of Ukraine has been somewhat confusing. I mean, we had Bolsonaro preaching neutrality, but at the same time, Brazil also signed off on a UN resolution condemning Russia's aggression. So tell us a bit more about that.
1: So, as you said, Brazil did sign off a UN Security Council resolution condemning the actions of Vladimir Putin. But there is more to the story than meets eye. Brazil's diplomats lobbied in the Council to modify the language used in the resolution, turning down the severity in some cases. Catering to Brazilian pressure, the United States swapped the verb to condemn with to deplore when referring to the Russian aggression. President Bolsonaro repeatedly refused to condemn
0: his Russian ally. And they wanted to include something about the Minsk agreements, right? Like, could you just explain like, exactly what that agreement means and the point that Brazil's diplomats were trying to make there?
1: So the Minsk agreements refers to a series of agreements signed in 2014 with the aim of stopping the fighting in the Donbass region of Ukraine. As we remember, around this time, Russia had annexed Crimea and we saw the Euromaidan protest in Ukraine and opposing demonstrations from separatist groups in the Donbass. Brazil's diplomats pushed the narrative that both Russia and Ukraine had violated the Minsk agreements, a Moscow-sponsored narrative. The draft called upon Russia to abide by the treaty's terms, but Brazil wanted to include all parties in this demand. And it was successful.
0: So... André, we've covered this plenty of times before on The Brazilian Report, but Brazil's foreign policy has changed quite a bit since Jair Bolsonaro was elected at the end of 2018. Could you take us back to the start of the term and you know, maybe explain exactly what that shift was? After winning the election, Bolsonaro appointed hardline conservative diplomat
1: Ernesto Araújo to lead the Foreign Affairs Ministry, a fervent opponent of cultural Marxism and devoted to fighting globalism, Araújo once wrote on his blog that Donald Trump was the West's only hope. During his term, Araújo even
0: tried to justify the January six alt-right insurgents who tried to take over the capital. And what changed in concrete terms? I mean, we know that words are important in diplomacy, but you know, votes and actual measures are worth even more. Under
1: Ernesto Araújo, Brazil sided with the US to reject a UN resolution condemning the American embargo on Cuba and reverted its historical defense of pro-Palestine resolutions at the General Assembly in favor of a pro-Israel stance. And Brazil was often joined by authoritarian conservative regimes in voting
0: against gendered terminology in resolutions. And Ernesto Arojo, he's no longer a member of the government. Uh, Remind us what happened there. He was fired
1: after heavy pressure from Congress. Lawmakers told President Bolsonaro that Araújo's highly ideological policies and histrionic speeches led Brazil to political isolation, economic losses, and vaccine scarcity. So the president got rid of him and appointed a low-key diplomat, Carlos França, to recover Brazil's international credibility. While enjoying very good relations with front benchers in Congress and turning down Brazil's more controversial diplomatic stances, he is still Jair Bolsonaro's employee. The problem here is that Brazil is isolated from the rest of the world because of its president.
0: And, André, you've actually taken apart the data to try to kind of empirically measure how Brazil's foreign policy has changed in practical terms since Jair Bolsonaro took over. So explain to us what that entailed.
1: As you said, actions mean more than words. So I look at the way Brazil has voted at the UN General Assembly resolutions, seeking to monitor how much affinity Brazil has with certain countries and how this has changed over time. And what did you find? Well, what's impossible to ignore is how Brazil has distanced itself from China. This is crucial because China is Brazil's biggest trading partner by a huge distance. The way the analysis works is for each vote Brazil sided with China, I allocated a score of one. Every time they were in disagreement, I allocated zero. Then I worked out an average affinity score over time up until 2017. Brazil had an affinity score of China of around 0.88. So very high. Under Bolsonaro, this has dropped to 0.78, a loss of almost
0: 15%. And what about Russia?
1: One interesting point is to note that even though Brazil caused a surprise by pro Putin lobbying now, the country was actually far closer to Russia in the past. During the Workers' Party administrations, Brazil paid much more attention to Moscow's concerns. Dilma Rousseff's government led Latin American nations to abstain from a UN resolution condemning Russia over its invasion of Crimea in 2014.
0: So that's interesting, because under Bolsonaro, we've seen Brazil turn its back on Mercosur uh, and BRICS and, you know, South-South diplomacy. Was that also reflected in the numbers?
1: Yeah, definitely. Besides China and Russia, Brazil is also siding far less with its South American neighbors. And by the looks of things, that allegiance is majorly going toward the US and Israel.
0: And, I mean, do we expect that trend to continue? Because, I mean, Bolsonaro was all about the US and Israel when Donald Trump was in the White House, but he doesn't have nearly the same access or sympathy from Joe Biden.
1: Under the Biden administration, Brazil-US affinity actually grew a little bit in 2021. We've moved from a 0.36 score in 2020 to 0.41 in 2021, but on a presidential level things are far more complicated as President Biden does not intend to meet Bolsonaro in person in the near future. So yeah, there's definitely a different relationship there than the Bolsonaro
0: Trump days. André, thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. If you like explaining Brazil, please drop us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It just takes a second and it'll help more people find out about this show. Or you can sign up to The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We offer a seven-day free trial, no strings attached, which gives you access to the site for a week without the need to insert any credit card details whatsoever. I'm Ewan Marshall, and thanks for listening.